There's a column for that A1, A2, B5, B6, A, B9. Ooh, ooh, ooh. We know those are cells. Hi, thanks so much for joining us for our second episode of There's a Column for That. I'm your host, author, storyteller, and podcaster, Jamie Beth Cohen. Today's guest is Kevin Ressler, currently the newish CEO and president of the United Way of Lancaster County. But when I met him in November 2014, I met him as a performance poet at a vigil we were both participating in, meant to hold space for those waiting to hear the ruling of the grand jury in the case of the Michael Brown shooting. I knew immediately I wanted to know him better, and now, six years later, I consider him one of my dear friends. This conversation goes many places, all conversations with Kevin do, but really cements for me the difference between word people, which Kevin and I are, and number people, which our last guest Carolyn Hateman is, with regard to spreadsheets. Certainly word people and number people both love spreadsheets, but we use them in very different ways and have a lot to learn from each other. I hope you learn something too. Please know there are just a few sound issues in the very beginning of our conversation, but they resolve themselves quickly. This chat was recorded on September 1st and we're releasing it on September 10th. Please remember to wear your mask, black lives still matter, and it's 43 days until election day. Hi, Kevin. Welcome to There's a Column for That. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Where you're from, where you live, how you identify, what line of work you're in, do you have hobbies or passions that take up a lot of your brain space? Anything you want to share with the audience? Hi, Jimmy Beth Cohen. I'm so grateful for you having me on. There's a column for that. I am really excited to talk with you, uh, though I feel at this exact present moment that I understand for the first time what it's like to be a translator because you asked me seven questions instead of one at a time. So I'm going to try to remember what I told you I'd talk about, which is I think who I am, what I do, where I come from, why am I worth talking to. Hi audience, my name is Kevin Ressler. Uh, when writing and publishing, it's Kevin M for Michael because there's another Kevin Ressler in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where I live, work, and grew up. I am professionally president and CEO of United Way of Lancaster County. I started that in January because I thought, hmm, there's a pandemic coming. Let me switch jobs. That's a good idea. I had been the executive director at Meals on Wheels of Lancaster, which was a wonderful place and will probably come up in the conversation around spreadsheets today. I I'm married to Melissa Wrestler, and we have two daughters, Acacia and Iriana. We both work in nonprofit fields and helping fields, and Melissa and I met doing a year of Mennonite voluntary service, which by the way, yeah, I'm Mennonite, and that's weird, and it may or may not come up. Um, and it's only weird because I'm black, and that's not actually weird because most Mennonites in the world you probably didn't know that because you're probably an American audience and most American audiences assume that Mennonites are Amish and that they all live in Lancaster County, which there's a whole bunch of things that are wrong about that. Um, and I only wear a bonnet on weekends. Thank you. That's awesome. <laughs> um, how do you interact with spreadsheets in your work 
or your life or both? What people don't realize about spreadsheets is that it's just organizational thinking. And so first is, I think informally, I interact with what are essentially spreadsheets in the way that I think. So not even the actual putting them into rows and columns, but my brain thinks in puzzles, going all the way back to elementary school, like the thing that made me a gifted kid, which but what happens for the gifted kids is they're on a part of the spectrum that tends to um, have certain uh, ways of thinking that lead to challenges to being part of the environment of education. And for myself and many of my friends, it's being able to put together puzzles. Um, and you know, kids who like playing with puzzles are sometimes weird. So uh, that was us in the gifted program. Uh, but so when I think, so as I got older, like I started to really enjoy the way in which spreadsheets can help to take data sort of that is just out there, uh, or information, I should say, not even data, and place it into uh, sort of ways of putting your puzzles together. Now, I will say I'm not necessarily a math guy. I'm more of a poetry guy. I first fell in love with spreadsheets when I was in college and I was pirating as much music as I possibly could. My age, Mark Zuckerberg and I graduated high school the same year. He went to Harvard. I went to Eastern Mennonite University. I was being ambitious. He wasn't. And I decided that I was going to take my tech skills and pirate as much music as I could. And so I wanted to sort my music. So I used spreadsheets and, you know, would build playlists and send those things out to other people. And um, at the same thing, right, computer science is largely just data tables on the back end. So Facebook is largely built on spreadsheets. So that's sort of the width of what you can do and what the experience is. And so I think that, you know, the spreadsheets are sort of like the matrix, like you don't know how much it's actually around you. Uh, and I appreciate how it's been able to help me just sort words, not even using the formulas and numbers. So you and I use spreadsheets very similarly. So I talk to some people who are math people, budget people, hard data people, and I am more, uh, here's a problem. I'm going to break it down into single cells. I'm going to tackle each cell or row at a time, or here is a bunch of information that I want to sort this way, and then I want to sort that way, and then I want to sort this way and so that I can wrap my head around it. So I very much think in spreadsheets and with words more than numbers. Yeah, and so I will say that I love the people who do the math. I like when they works for me and when they give me the spreadsheets with, I don't know what they are, but they're called pivot tables apparently. All I know is that like I just tell people, you know, well, make sure you put pivot tables in that. And they're like, oh, he knows what he's talking about. We better give him a good spreadsheet. I'm like, ah. I don't know what a pivot table is. <laughs> and I, like, I, all I know is like, I can freeze panes. When I learned how to freeze panes, my life became this beautiful wonderland as I could like actually like scroll the data. And I, uh, you know, I'm, nobody else is going to see this, but I'm sitting in front of a, a bunch of books, right? My bookshelf collection, um, which houses my book collection. And one of the things that I will do when I have a weekend to myself because I'm too old to smoke weed anymore. So what I will do instead is I will resort my bookshelves. Like I'll move this book to here and this book to here and like create my whole new Dewey Decimal system. If I had been smart enough when I was buying books to just record each book on a column and a row, I would be able to just go in there and just be like, 
sort alphabetically and get all of the dopamine I needed in one quick shot. Because I just want to put the puzzle together in a thousand different ways. And I can organize these books by tall or short or alphabetically by name. And spreadsheets let you do all of that as long as you put the information in. And then if someone smarter than you does it, they can make a pivot table. So I am older than both you and Mark Zuckerberg, and I am remembering my brother's cassette tape collection with little masking tape on the left side of each one, which was numbered, but they were alphabetical, so that required renumbering every time you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why my bookshelf is like, and this is the poetry section. So when I get a new poetry book, I don't have to like do everything. <laughs> right, right. Awesome. So tell me, what's your biggest or favorite problem, program, or project that you've tackled using a spreadsheet? My best friend from college is a guy who can do computer programming. And when I learned about how much of the back end of software is just like spreadsheets was because I was running Meals on Wheels and we didn't have a feasible solution, feasible software solution. There wasn't anything in the market that did anything sufficiently to the level we wanted. And so I uh, had remembered that he told me when he was 16, he had taught himself how to program and had created a route delivery program for a 700 client dairy, like old school glass bottles, right? So Fast forward, we're in college. He tells me about this. Fast forward another decade, I'm running Meals on Wheels. And I was like, so you want to join the board of Meals on Wheels? Do some professional development for you? He's like, sure. It's like, great. Get him on the board. Next meeting, he's like, so what should I do to help? I was like, you know what? You can help me research software. You work for a company in tech. Sure. I had already done most of this research, right? Like I'd already looked and I was pretty sure there wasn't anything out there, but he was pretty sure Meals on Wheels is a big enough thing. There is. So he goes, searches, and he's like, dude, this this is the closest to a good program. We get it. It didn't work. And I said, you know, didn't you once design a software program around meal delivery? And he's like, I mean, yeah, why? And I was like, it's the same basic thing, right? And he's like, yeah, I mean, it's just basically tables and columns and rows and having the data have formulas and talk to itself and where to go and what to do next. So he built the software, you know, now sells it to help uh, Meals and Wheels programs to deliver. And like, oh, What I had before that and after that, like just as one example, I was able to take, I had to fill out on paper for the county government, how many meals were were delivered to whom and all by names and all that junk. And it took me 10 hours a month to do billing. Once he had taken the same thing, just columns and rows, but put it in a digital framework and allowed it to talk to itself, I clicked one button and it took 30 seconds. And I was like, oh, So now I can actually go and increase clients, improve product and all of those things because someone hit a spreadsheet from a user interface and made all the work happen. Right, it's sort of amazing. It's spreadsheets are powerful. They're very powerful. What about their limitations? What what kinds of problems can spreadsheets not tackle or what have they let you down on? Never gotten a hug from a spreadsheet. Um, you know, they're not the most touchy-feely. You know, they're, they're ugly. Um, they're complicated if you don't know what you're doing. So, like, I'm super novice um, at building them. You know, I, I hate PowerPoint. 
Okay, I just hate it. And then most people don't know how to present, so they just read the PowerPoint. Anyway, this isn't about PowerPoint. Maybe I should start the podcast. There's a PowerPoint I hate, and it's all of them. Um, but you know, but the reason I say that is PowerPoint's really easy to use. And, and to use to its fullest capabilities, right? And so it's universal, like everybody uses it. It's, again, part of the reason it's the bane of my existence. So part of the challenge of spreadsheets is that it's intimidating and a lot of people don't engage in it. And so I think that there are probably ways that they could do a better job of democratizing, you know, building out to sort of more prosaic form like answer this question and then we'll do some of the basic work on the background and start that setup. So I think that's that's part of the challenge. The other the other thing that that I don't like about spreadsheets is um, disclaimer, those of you who care deeply about the environment will be offended by what I'm about to say. Uh, I print everything. I just I struggle to read on a screen. Um, I don't own a Kindle. I still buy books. Like I just, I'm not a, I need that tactile. So I print a lot of spreadsheets and printing spreadsheets is an absolute nightmare. If I cannot go and do print all on one page or print one page of columns, like I'm donezo. And I will, I will sit at my desk like some kind of maritime sailor and have like, 10 different spreadsheets taped together like so that I can see all of my data because I don't know how to appropriately print and manage it. I agree. I agree that they do not print well all the time, especially if they're not designed for printing. And I think you also hit on something that comes up all the time when I talk to people, which is whereas you can know PowerPoint to its fullest capability pretty quickly, I don't know anyone who knows spreadsheet software to its fullest capability. They oh, know what no. they know how I, to do. I know equal sum parentheses and, and then I start screwing it up. Um, I recently learned that you can double click the line and it expands to fill all of my words, which was like, a wet dream come true. Like I was like, oh my God, all of my words. And it's not just like a cutoff column that I have to click and go up to the top bar where I typed it in and scroll to see what I wrote. So it's totally brilliant. And I uh, also learned that like, there's that little black cube and I can click on it and drag it down and then it transfers the formula. And like, this isn't even scratching the surface of the surface. And going all the way back to what I started this comment on was like equal sum. When I type in equal and it just like drops down like 700, I'm like, what the hell are all those formulas? Right. Which right. is another one of the limitations. Like, can you please, God, just tell me what the damn name of the formula is? Right. Like, you've, like it's abbreviation hell. Yes. Like, I don't, I, I know if I knew what I was reading, I might actually know what I need to use. Right. What, and what's that's. Give? So for like, people like you and I who use it mostly for words, the number part is still completely overwhelming. Right, right. And even when I use it for numbers, within the sphere of my mathematical ability, which 
really ended in sixth grade when Mrs. Richards Long kicked me out of class every day and only brought me in for tests because she literally told me she wanted me to fail because she didn't like me. Um, we'll talk about race and education at another time. Uh, and, and then, you know, senior year, I won't out this teacher's name because I appreciate her and what she did. She realized I was a disruptive force in class my last semester of my senior year and that it wasn't a graduation requirement for me and the college I was going to didn't require me to take a math. So her and I came to an arrangement that since it was the first class of the day, if I didn't come to class, she would give me a C. And I said, sure, uh, I'll see graduation day. Um, so my math abilities in like early elementary, I was top of the class, hit sixth grade roadblock and then sort of started falling behind. Um, and the only math I took in college, I actually did decently well at, which is statistics. It was only partly because I was flirty with my friend um, and she was willing to be my group partner. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, the, when I'm looking at these spreadsheets and I get into those maths, like, I just don't know the terminology. And, and that's really frustrating. Also, like, I don't know what hashtag DIV is, but I'm pretty sure it means you effed up. And I would like some more specifics. Like, stop telling me, hashtag DIV, I don't know what this means, and I can't solve a problem if you don't tell me what the problem is. It's like, a, it's like I need marriage counseling on my spreadsheet document. <laughs> so here are my two college math stories. Number one, in undergrad, I took logic, and that fulfilled my math requirement. God bless when we can work the, uh, the actual word part of the world into the math part. Story two, in graduate school, I was supposed to take an institutional research course, which turned out to be actually a statistics mm -hmm. course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I turned in a project and the professor wrote back, your data doesn't check, but your narrative was strong. And I got an <laughs> A in the class. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. Um, I also like realized at some point in my life that when my math started to struggle was when they stopped giving me word problems. Like, and then you like you hit this and I'm like, you're screwing up the most beautiful human invention in all of history. And that is letters. Like you're putting letters in places where numbers are supposed to go. And it doesn't make any sense. Those aren't words. X over the squiggly line beside the check mark with the really long flag is not a word. Stop ruining my letter. Right, and so I have a problem. I believe if I were a student now, they would actually put me through some testing to figure out what the actual problem is, but I am unable to estimate numbers. So I once ran a financial aid program for a private school, and my boss would walk by and say, where are we with the the aid budget. And I would say, give me a minute and I'll check. And he'll say, just ballpark it for me. And I'd say $63 million. And he's like, Jamie, we only have like $4 million. And I was like, right. So let me check my spreadsheet and I'll tell you exactly where we are. But if you want a ballpark number for me, it's never going to happen. And so I will say that when I do use spreadsheets for numbers, it is to be precise because I need that. And when you're talking about like algebra, when you get out of the word problems, I don't know how to estimate the answer to an algebra problem. So I don't know whether I'm on the right track or the wrong track. So then I give up. 
Right. I can do geometry. Yep. Me too. Um, uh, and that's because I studied theater and we built sets and I needed to not cut off my fingers or short the boards too much. So geometry, like we good. Yep. Um, I want things to be square. Great. Yep. Fantastic. Well, now I know why we get along so well, because our brains work <laughs> exactly the same way. Uh, so here are some rapid fire, some quick and dirty. Are you an Excel person, a Google Sheet person, something else? And along with that, Mac, PC, tablet, something else. So I hang out really well with the nerds and, and uh, not just because my favorite TV series of all time is every Star Trek episode, uh, but because the, the the reason I hang out with nerds really well is that where I am uh, in love with on the computer software side is Linux. So I used to be a very big Linux person. So like, um, you know, all the LibreOffice suite. I will say I really, I'm a big Google guy. Like I'm an Android watch guy and a Google Pixel. And I hate, hate, hate Google Sheets. You're I will alone. use Excel, but Google Sheets is like the satire of spreadsheet software. You are not alone, my friend. <laughs> Do you have a favorite command or function in Excel? Conjunction, junction. Say more. What? Conjunction junction. What's your function? I know, I know What's that. But how do you use it in Excel? I don't. My point is I like words. Oh, <laughs> I see. So do you know? So wait, I do you know that you can take a word from column A and a word from column B, like a first name and a last name, and put them together in column C? I know that my staff has been able to do that for me. Okay. Okay. I thought that's where you were headed. No, no, but that's fantastic connection, and I love that. Um, yeah. I that's advanced stuff. I uh, I know that I can take column A and sort it alphabetically while not sorting the top line that says first name, and not sorting column B at the same time. And also, I can sort A with B. But I did not know A plus B equals C because that's math. It is sort of math, but Excel doesn't <laughs> treat it as such. Excel actually treats it as words. If you try to do it as math, it gets confusing. All right, I can, all right, all right. Well, you know, there's there's a. You might need to learn. You might need me as your admin. I mean, I will. We'll talk. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> at least for my at least for my memoirs. Um, <laughs> How do you feel about color coding cells or typeface? Is that something you do, you don't do, you like, you don't like? Um, I like, if I know I'm going to print something, I will color code it in grayscale uh -huh. uh, because I need it color coded. And if I don't have a color printer, like I need to be like, that's how my, so I'm also a really visual person, like theater, like visual arts, photography. So yeah, one of the strengths of Excel for me is actually the way in which you can create data to look at quickly and see what you sort of need to see. Uh, I recently was giving a presentation to my board around a variety of software packages that we were looking at, which one do we want to invest in? And there were comparatives on the, the document. By the way, the math people got the formulas wrong. So just want to 
uh, and people couldn't quite read it. But you know what I did was I very quickly in the share on my Microsoft Teams video, I color coded each of the sections and all of a sudden, everybody was able to speak the same language. So I'm huge on the color coding. Um, I'm one of those people who like will take this stupid unnecessary time when having a really quick, like, just sort of overview of some some numbers. I will like, you know, drag and do the like all borders and then do like the borders inside. And like, if it's not quite all perfectly square, like I'll build out like a blacked out section. And so, yeah, um, Excel is, is inherently really ugly and it's a problem for me. So I do everything I can to make it pretty. Awesome. Is there one thing that you think you know about spreadsheets that other people might not know? Oh, <laughs> the secret knowledge question. So here's the thing that I know about spreadsheets that nobody else knows. They can't give you a hug. <laughs> well, that's just the gig of me. That's, that's part of it. Um, spreadsheets are capable of screwing your printer up really badly. If you happen to, on column 300, have one accidental typo, and you are an AmeriCorps Vista intern, and you hit print, and that, that prints to the printer down at the end of the hallway, and you do this, let's just say midday, and that you're not going to go pick the document up at the end of the day, it is true that you will print hundreds of blank pages. And if it happens that on the roller of that printer is just enough ink that it will have a repeated dot on the piece of paper, you kind of ruin the entire ream of paper. But here's the thing I know about printers is that when they run out of 500 sheets of paper, they stop printing and alert you. And so when you walk down to the printer earlier than you had anticipated because you're confused why 10 minutes later, not three hours later, you need to go to the printer, you find out that you printed a couple of hundred sheets of paper. That's the thing I know about spreadsheets that other people don't because they never use them. I think that's really helpful. I think that's, <laughs> I think people who listen to this show are going to be really grateful for that tip. And that's where you need to learn about things like print areas, which by the way, don't actually ever work. So I don't understand why they're called print areas. So Mine I print works. my selection, but like when I do, oh, here's the print area. And then it prints outside of that. I'm confused. My print areas work, but we, that's the whole other story. They, they lie. Um, they're like the president of the United States. <laughs> I didn't say which president. Many presidents have lied before. Some significantly more than others. This isn't a political show. I am no. not making political commentary about any of the presidents after night, after um, president number 44. None at all. Okay. <laughs> Do you have a feeling, and I think you've sort of touched on this already, about CRMs and spreadsheets or... Oh, yeah. Yeah, CRMs super great because they are the thing that makes spreadsheets workable for people like me. Um, and I absolutely adore where the CRM market is going. And I uh, recently encountered an organization that was still using Microsoft Access and considered making a personal donation to get them into a CRM, uh, whichever CRM it would be. It wouldn't matter at that point. Uh, so I'm dying. <laughs> In 2020, nobody needs to be a SQL programmer. <laughs> so I'm 
dying because of the one time before I knew what Microsoft Access was and I deleted the whole database because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think I needed it on my work computer. What is this weird file? Dot B-I-N dot, just delete all of those <laughs> ones. It doesn't say dot D-O-C, it's useless to me. Uh -huh. yep. <laughs> yeah, I deleted the whole access database. And are you like me where like you have to incessantly clear the um, recycling bin? So you, you deleted it. Oh, it was gone. It was gone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But here's what I'll tell you. I am a spreadsheet purist. I am not a fan of CRMs because I think it's harder to teach yourself the report, to create the reports you need than it is to dump the data from whatever you're doing. So I often at work will dump the whole universe and then manipulate the spreadsheet that I have because I can see. So that's what, surprising to me because you took a logic class in college. Um. <laughs> so I think my logic is sound. I think a lot of CRM logic is not sound. And, well, I think and so that, part of that is that not all of the report builders are strong. So yes, it is true that sometimes, especially some, so we're getting into a place with CRMs that's a little bit different, where they're better report builders than robust. But for a really long time, it was like, and here's your five reports. Right. Like, can I, I need to do this report. This is the data I need. Right. And they'd be like, well, you can export all. You'd be like, but is there like an in-between? And they'd be like, yeah, for $300, we'll create the report that you want. And you like look to your boss and you're like, can we do this report for $300? And they're like, we're not sure we're going to be able to pay you this much because right. we're a small, poor nonprofit. So report or your job. <laughs> right. And so that's the thing. Like I have always worked in the nonprofit sector. I've, I've been in education or the arts and I have heard tell of really great CRMs, but I have never worked in an institution with a really great CRM. So I got very good at dumping everything and then manipulating the spreadsheet to the point where I don't trust the reports that I build in CRMs. I want to see if I say, delete everyone over the age of 67, I want to watch those rows go and then do a gut check of, was I, was I expecting to lose that many people? So if, if you're able to see the rows going one by one, you need a faster computer. I'm just gonna mention it should happen instantaneously. Um, I don't know what hamster wheel of a computer you have where there's like an actual person. It's like old school baseball, like where they would put the numbers on the scoreboard. Like somehow your computer has like a little computer mouse. <laughs> it's like deleting the row, throwing it out. Like it's like a fishing line. Um, but aside from that part of it, uh, I, I do hear you. I am in the process right now of partnering with a group and we're designing and, and building out uh, software application that's going to help us um, connect. So this is so here's where here's where in my work world, right? United Way of Lancaster, we we support a bunch of organizations through grant making, but we're caring actually about systemic change, not symptoms response. So yeah, it's great to feed a kid, and sure, it's great if next year you feed two kids and the year after you feed 10 kids because you're responding to the impulses of a broken society. Alternatively, what I would like, and this is what we sort of want to do at United Way, I would like that next year, instead of feeding two kids, you feed one. And the year after that, you feed none because there are no hungry kids. 
right? So in order to get there, I need to be able to not just have the data of my own or what I've funded, right? My data is who we funded, or maybe if we provide some other support, like how many hours we provided support, or if we routed volunteers, how many volunteers um, in our two-on-one call center, how many calls went so and so forth, and so databases robust and more there. Vita, how many people we gave free tax back? Like that's the data that I have. What I don't have is, okay, so there was a kid here and they were hungry, and and why were they hungry? Oh, associated data, they're parent lost a job and that parent was the only breadwinner or was a single parent or whatever and that parent lost their job and also lost their house and when they lost their house they had to move to another area of town which pulled them from their support networks of like their neighbors who might have given them some free food and so now if i can have all of that data that's how I make sure that that kid doesn't need food next year because I get their parent retrained in a new job and I get them um, the career readiness. I get them in that place. I help prevent their eviction or if they're evicted, I help them be sheltered and help connect them to the new school, all of those various things, right? So how do I get from where I am to where I want to be? Well, what we're working on right now at my little United Way of Lancaster, and then once we finish it, we'll export it to the rest of the world and all of the We'll use this, but you know what we're building is the ability to take our two-on-one call center, and instead of it being information and referral, the goal is to actually have it be a closed loop. How do we do that? By creating a software application that we've already basically outlined and are beginning to build. And what it will do is it will connect on the back end to all of the different CRMs through what are called APIs, bidirectionally. So when we get a call for two-on-one, we'll be able to get that information, associate with a unique identifier, and filter that information out to all of the people who hold that unique identifier. Updating all of the information live. So we know job was lost, kid is in after school program and may now need other certain supports. So by being able to do that, uh, we will be able to know what's happening in a community live. No more hospital chips looking at the last three years of data or CAPS looking at the last year of census data or the 10-year overview. No, no, no. We'll be able to know instantaneously what are coming trends for the community. So that's what we're trying to build right now. But in order to do that, what I really need is I need data. So to your point about bad CRMs, there's a lot of them. Some of them don't use APIs and other challenges which is why what we're trying to do is provide a free CRM to every nonprofit organization who doesn't have one in the community, integrating all that backend data. All of that data, all of that data is in a spreadsheet. Yeah, they're the greatest things ever. And they talk to one another because when you get away from the UI and the software and what it's querying and all that stuff, what do you end up with? You end up with a bunch of different organizations that have a digitized version of a whole room of filing cabinets. So it's almost like the spreadsheets are hugging each other, even the though they spreadsheets don't. Spreadsheets love to hug each other. They just can't hug us yet. Last rapid fire. I already know the answer nothing, to this. There's nothing rapid fire about these questions because I can't give rapid fire answers, by the way. I should have let you know that before we started. You think I didn't know that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I understand. This was actually supposed to be a 15-minute interview. You booked it for an hour as compensation. I got it. Uh, do you know why and how? Nothing. Sorry, I live with a three-year-old and a six-year-old. I can't not. Whenever someone says, do you know? Do you know why and how to make a pivot table? Do I know 
how and why to make a pivot table. Here's what I know. I know that if we're working together and you're the person in charge of the spreadsheet, which by the way, will always happen because I will always find a way to manufacture that I will do all the other parts. If you could just handle the spreadsheet part, like I'll get you the data. I'll even get you most of the data ironically in a spreadsheet. But, but if you could just actually manage the final product, and if you can put that in a PowerPoint too, that'd be fantastic. But I know that I'm going to ask you for a pivot table. Okay, that's that's good. That's good to know. I, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. But I, when I ran for mayor, it was used to be able to create a heat map of where the donors were to show that I had more donors inside of our district, and both of my opponents had significant large value donors who were outside because they were working for special interests. Oops. A pivot table will help you uh, determine that, yes. Also, uh, that is what I call a pivot table. That is me pivoting whatever it is I'm asked to give the political answer I want. That's a pivot table right there. I encourage you to check out other episodes of There's a Column for That in which we talk about pivot tables extensively. It sounds like some good background data while I'm working at midnight. Yeah. Uh, so thank you so much. This has been great. We, some final thoughts here. This is uh, less about spreadsheets, unless you want to make it about spreadsheets. But any media right now that's really consuming you, books, movies, shows, podcasts, anything you think other people should check out in any area? Well, I'm, I'm just going to identify your word choice there was any media that is consuming me. And I think that the 24 hour news cycle is consuming all of our souls. And if you don't believe that you have a soul, you now do just so the 24 hour news cycle can consume it. Um, what media am I consuming? Always Star Trek. Like it's what I go to sleep to every night um, in heavy rotation. I recently read that uh, for watching all of the episodes of Star Trek and all of the movies is about 800 hours. And then I realized that I have watched all of them at least five times and I felt really uncomfortable with some of my life choices. Um, I'm only okay with it because most of it's when I'm falling asleep. I am doing my best to consume media around stories that would not necessarily be those that I would encounter. So, um, you know, I was giving an anti-racism, anti-bias, you know, sort of bias and biased, implicit bias training earlier today. And for a local company, and uh, they were like, "How do we, how do we develop relationships with people who look different from us? Like, you just go to the lunch table and ask, like, what was it like to to grow up, you know, a person of color?" And I said, "I mean, I, I, I mean, her question was well intentioned, and, and she wasn't trying to be, you know, whatever. She was like, I mean, she was identifying like that's probably not the right idea. Uh, and and I said, no, you're, I mean, you're sort of you're right, right? Like, how do we do this? And I said, obviously what you're saying, it's well-intentioned to want to interact with someone and learn about them outside of their, how your experience and their experience are similar. I said, but that, you know, it, it's difficult because walking up to someone and asking them about race would be like walking up to a woman and being like, so tell me what it was like to be bulimic in high school. Like, well, first of all, why would you assume just because I'm a woman? And second of all, even if that was accurate, why the heck would you just ask me that? That's the same thing as being like, so did you grow up in a primarily white environment? And how was that from a racial experience for you? Like, no, that's, that, yeah, let's, let's not ask me to relive my trauma. Um, and so what I suggested, and that's why I have 
these books. This is Growing Up Latino Memoirs and Stories, Reflections on Life in the United States, um, Growing Up Ethnic in America, Contemporary Fiction About Learning to be American, Half and Half, Writers on Growing Up Biracial and Bicultural. Um, there's just a, a number of these types of books that I have been consuming. Um, which These are ones I've mostly read before, but I just wanted to revisit. Um, then I got a new one, which is what my computer is propped up on, uh, called Identity Lessons. Um, and it's edited by the same person who did Growing Up Ethnic in America. And there's, these are all a little older, but these kinds of books are a great way to expose yourself to the stories of otherness without othering someone. And I think it's a really great way. I also, Chadwick Boseman died, so I was like, what's a movie of his I haven't seen? I always found him to be a great actor. Uh, and I watched 42 for the first time, and it was really just sort of like riveting as a biracial, binational, bicultural individual who's, you know, experience does not include, um, my black side is in Tanzania, so like it doesn't ex it include a mother who grew up in segregation. It, includes a father who grew up as a white man in times of segregation, although in Ohio, um, which is technically in the North um, and only technically. Uh, so he grew up with certainly those types of prejudiced experiences, but I was really, you know, watching 42 this time, watching the black characters walk into the stadium to watch Jackie Robinson break the color barrier and have to walk through colored for the section of what they watch and, and scenes where there's a water fountain and, and the way in which people interacted. And even for a black person who was born in 1984, it's not that long prior. I'm biracial, right? Like in 1967, 68, like, you know, Loving versus Virginia changes the world, like as that court case starts and, and finishes. But my very being was illegal 60 years ago in a dozen states. In 1954, only 4% of all Americans of any race thought that interracial relationships were okay. In 2000, I think 16, 13, 16, somewhere around there, that number was 89%. And I presented that number to a group I was doing an anti-racism training. And they said, wow, well, that's a great improvement from 4% to 89%. And it was 81%. And I said, that still means that one in every five people don't think that I have a right to exist. You know, so how do we get from here to a better place? Well, just like the increased number of interracial relationships has increased at the same time, leading to exposure. If you don't live in an area where you don't have relationships that you can develop and build to better expose yourself to people who are different than yourself, these types of books and movies are a really accessible way and you have no excuse to say that in 2020, you cannot expose yourself to the genuine stories that will expand your worldview. It is at this point only a choice that keeps you from bigotry. I agree. Anything, any social medias you want to shout out, any projects, any, I, you do lots of good work in your uh, professional life and personal life. So now is the time to shout out handles, websites. <laughs> oh, my website is furloughed um, in the sign of the times. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I own like four websites and none of them are presently up right now. Uh, so I'm just going to encourage you to just find a website that's outside of your 
expert expectations of where you would spend your time. So literally read opinions different than your own, uh, news sources and media. Um, avoid any of the ones that are like kicking off super conspiracy theories, like it's not even worth the exposure. Um, but in general, like expose yourself to conservative viewpoints or liberal viewpoints if you don't hold them. Uh, we have to find a way back towards one another. We don't have to agree. We have to learn to listen and to hear one another. And what I think I always find is when I do that, if I really lean in, what I find is that most of the time, the baser impulses of why someone believes something, even when it's different than my outcomes, is from a similar concern. I'm concerned for the safety of my family, for the opportunities of my family in the future. I'm concerned about whether or not you know, my, my uh, community or my culture has value and is able to express itself. And sometimes that makes a really hard, crazy turn and becomes, and that means that no other community should or can exist or my community is better. It's an unhealthy one, but, but no, we all deserve the right to be proud of what makes us uniquely us, including the places that we've come from. Um, just don't prioritize the harmful parts of that um, and be willing to admit that we can grow and we grow by learning. And so you know, that's my encouragement is to just sort of go to the other side and then donate money to United Way of Lancaster County, um, always and twice. Um, get registered to vote and vote if you agree with me. Um, otherwise, uh, you know, get registered to vote. Uh, I always love that. Like, everybody should be registered to vote and vote. I'm like, no, you don't believe that. You believe that everybody should be registered to vote and then vote your way. Um, uh, but yeah, we're entering into a crazy season. It's important. Inform yourselves. Um, and then vote my way. Uh, <laughs> the other thing I would say is if you, you know, if you didn't know, you know, one of the few things that Congress passed this year was, um, you know, allowing for an increase to $300 in addition to tax credit. Um, so for, for donating. So if you haven't donated your $300, please donate it somewhere um, that you care deeply about. Um, if you are mourning the loss of being able to um, go out and do things, uh, there are organizations that need volunteers like Meals on Wheels. So uh, if you really wanna get outside of your house, there's a meal you can drop off for someone who can't leave theirs. One other website is oneunitedlancaster.com, O-N-E, unitedlancaster.com. It's a little community newspaper we've built and anybody in any other community who would like to know how do you start something like that, let me know. Thank you. Those are all good reminders. And the last question is one that you get to ask me about anything you want. What is the theme and general outline of the next book that you will have published? I don't know what the next book I will have published is, but I know the one I'm writing. So, right. so I published is the one you're writing right now. Well, we'll positive see. thinking. We'll see. Uh, I am actually working on two right now. I'm working on the sequel to Wasted Pretty, where yeah. we, uh, which was my debut novel for young adult audiences. Um, so the sequel to Wasted Pretty, I'm in revisions on. Okay. And it takes place five years after Wasted Pretty ended. So the theme and general outline is Alice is five years older. She's graduating from college and she has to figure some stuff out. 
Look, there's Wasted Pretty. There it is. She's so pretty. On the bookshelf. Uh, I'm also working on a memoir, which is uh, I'm working on in fits and starts. So, well, you're too young for a memoir, so work on fits and starts for the next sixty years. And then Actually, gonna... you are incorrect, my friend. These days, I know people, these days. Well, but people, so a memoir is not an autobiography. So I am I too mean, young for an autobiography. Yeah, memoirs. Unless, unless you become like a. Pulitzer Prize winning author, and then you can have an autobiography at your age. Right, right. But so these okay. days, memoirs tend to, tend to be thematic. So you write a memoir about your relationship with your father. You write a memoir about your marriage. You write a memoir about becoming a mother. So I am not too young to have a memoir. A about how many drugs you've done, and then <laughs> Oprah puts you on her book club, and you write a memoir about that. Yeah. Right. So, um, I'm not too young to write this memoir. I just haven't figured out how to do it yet. Well, what's your theme? Or have you not figured that out? Well, I think part of the problem is, I mean, it is, it is about my father, his death, money. Those are the things that it is about, but how it is about that is a little bit more complicated than I have been able to wrap my head around. Mostly because I've been in my house since March 13th with my family, working from home, doing everything from home. We have taken a pretty strict stance on the whole quarantining and social distancing situation. So normally I would actually have my Mondays free to go by myself or to a coffee shop and write. And that has just not been the case for the last five months. So my everything else for us thankfully is going fairly well but my writing time has taken a really big hit so why don't you leave um and go right in the field so i am gonna go uh next weekend i'm going away for three days to the highlights foundation which is the highlights magazine for kids has a place where you can go and write and i am actually going to do that but that's not something i can do every week and i'm home with the kids on monday on my day off i'm providing their schooling because my husband is at work so it's just the childcare has taken us, it's just taken up a notch these days. I'm aware. Okay. And it is hard for me to write with my kids around. I really need that physical separation. When I'm creating, when I'm editing, I can do it almost anywhere. But when I'm creating, I need to be alone or in a coffee shop with people who I'm not responsible for. Maybe you should be writing a memoir about parenting in the time of coronavirus. No, I should not. Plenty of people will. I am not interested in it. I'm living it. I have, I have not interested at all in writing about it. All right. Here goes the Pulitzer. <laughs> Kevin, thank you so much for being with me today. Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening today. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review everywhere you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter at column underscore pod. Special thanks to Nora Grace and Josiah for our theme song, Sam Schindler for editing and production, Nick Peterson for additional music, and you for listening. Have a great day.